The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. There's a little bit of a controversy over a Green Bay, Wisconsin police officer grabbing A.J. Dillon, a Green Bay Packer, as he ran onto a field during an event. Now an investigation is underway. I'm Anjanette Levy, and welcome to this latest edition of Law & Crime Sidebar Podcast. Now, this incident just happened very recently. A.J. Dillon is a very popular member of the Green Bay Packers. I actually lived in Green Bay, uh, in the Green Bay area, I should say, for five and a half years. And those people take their football very seriously up there. And uh, they also treat these Green Bay Packers like, like they're absolute gods. I mean, they are just worshipped up there. So uh, this caused a little bit of a stir. And joining us to talk about this is Bobby Chacon. He is a retired FBI agent and also an attorney. Bobby, welcome back to Sidebar. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. What is your uh, perception of this incident? I mean, it looks like there was a miscommunication according to everything that A.J. Dillon is saying. Uh, he makes it sound like this is um, this was a misunderstanding between security guards who knew what he was going to do and the Green Bay Police Department. Yeah, I mean, it, it made a lot of uh, news now because there's video of it and the officer seems to be treating the player with uh, some aggression, um, if you will. He pushes him and shoves him from the back. And you're right, it was a miscommunication. So what happened, there was a, a, a soccer match going on. There was a break in the action. The player, who's obviously, as you said, Green Bay Packers are very well known there. They're very popular. He asked two of the security guards, could he jump down onto the field and help to hype the crowd back up into the game to get the energy level back up? And they said, sure, but they didn't communicate that to the officer on the field whose job it is to keep people off the field. And so once he jumped down there, the officer immediately thought he was one of these people, as we've all seen, that wants to run out onto a stadium field and get attention for themselves. And oftentimes the officers will chase them around the field looking foolish, fall down, somebody puts music to it, they look like clowns. So these officers are always on very high alert not to look bad. And so the minute they can grab someone before they can, you know, proceed on to more of the field of play and make a, a big commotion, um, they do that. And that's what happened in this case. Um, and so he grabbed the player fairly aggressively just so he wouldn't get out on that field. Um, in the aftermath, of course, it was explained the security guards let him told him he could. They didn't communicate that to the officer on the field. Um, the player himself then tweeted out, this is just a big misunderstanding. He has all the respect for the police and, and everything. There's an internal investigation, as there probably has to be anytime something like this happens. I think it'll be cleared up fairly quickly. Um, there's no hard feelings between the player and the officer. Um, and like I said, I think, and, and you pointed out, I think this was just a, a, a matter of miscommunication um, between the security staff in the stands and the uh, law enforcement people on the field. Well, and the security staff would have different powers than, say, 
uh, a Green Bay police officer. I would assume. I would assume that obviously a Green Bay police officer would have arrest powers. Obviously, a security member does not have that kind of power. They would call police for assistance if they needed help uh, with an incident. So these are two separate groups of people on site to provide security with very different roles. That's right, and that's where the miscommunication comes in. They're probably not on the same radio systems. Um, they probably don't know each other. Um, their their briefings pregame, the police brief with the police, the security staff brief with the security staff. So there's there's not that coordination a lot of times between the on-field law enforcement who's there to protect that field and those players on the field and the security in the stands who are there to prevent fights among spectators and, and rude behavior by spectators. So yeah, that's that's right. They're, they're two completely separate entities, different powers. Um, they probably treat the job a little differently, um, different levels of experience. And, and so that's where the miscommunication and miscoordination came in. Now, in your view of this video and your, your you know, watching of it with your experience, I mean, was the cop a little too rough because I, I mean, I, I'm thinking to myself, you see somebody run onto a field and cross a, a you know, a barrier like that, you're probably thinking, what is going to happen here? What's going on? Um, you know, and you probably want to contain that. But was the police officer too aggressive in his approach? Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind. With Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You know, every officer will deal with a situation like that slightly differently. Even within staying within the same policy, there are people who, you know, tend to be a little more hands-on, a little more aggressive. There are people who tend to try to talk their way out of it. We all, we've seen that in all, a lot of these videos. And so, it, you know, is this? I think that the internal investigation will determine whether he was too aggressive, but I think that you know, sure, he could have handled less aggressive, but it's all it all comes into play on what that officer's experience is, what his past experience is, what's happened to him, the incidents that he's been involved in the past, um, and his marching orders, um, whether or not they've had particular problems at this kind this kind of event. You know, I mean, I know in Europe, soccer fans, uh, you know, are hooligans, and sometimes they actually prevent visiting teams fans from going to away games because so much 
you know, mayhem happens in the stands at these soccer games. So, you know, I'm not saying that that, ha that was subject here, but I do know that you take into it all of your knowledge and experience and everybody handles them a little differently. If he felt like he was alone, he didn't have backup close by, he had to be a little more aggressive to get this person under control before they got to the field. That's his job to prevent these people from getting on the field because um, you don't know what's going to happen. Sure, most of the time they're drunk fans that want attention, um, but you know you don't know if they're there to cause harm to somebody. And, and so you have to get the situation under control as quickly as you can. Um, you know, and, and that's the aggression that we saw. You know, like I said, different officers might have handled it differently. And we all we all have different approaches to, you know, to different events. Um, but, yeah, he he definitely handled it in, in, a, in an aggressive way. And that may be his style. All righty. Well, Bobby Chacon, retired FBI agent, thanks so much for uh, coming on and offering your expertise. We appreciate it, as always. Thank you. This is Alex Jones and InfoWars. Alex Jones is one of the country's most popular and most influential media personalities. InfoWars is one of the nation's most popular and widely watched media networks. Conspiracy theorist Alex Jones is on trial for defamation in a courtroom in Austin. He's being sued by the parents of one of the children killed at Sandy Hook in that mass shooting back in 2012. Clips of Jones's show played for the jury in Austin, Texas, during opening statements. Sandy Hook is a synthetic, completely fake, with actors, in my view, manufactured. I couldn't believe it at first. Jones has already lost a lawsuit over his claims that Sandy Hook was a hoax in Connecticut, where the judge found that Jones was liable by default for not turning over documents and other infractions. Sandy Hook was the devastating school shooting in Connecticut, where a young man shot and killed 20 young students and six staff members, including six-year-old Jesse Lewis. Jesse's parents are suing Jones in the Austin courtroom. Their attorney told the jury that Jones knew what he was saying was a lie. He claimed the attack was staged by the government, calling it a false flag. Jones also said the parents were actors. I'm a parent and my heart goes out to all parents that have lost children uh, in these tragic events. And so if children were lost in Sandy Hook, my heart goes out to each and every one of those parents and the people that say they're parents that I see on the news. The only problem is I've watched a lot of soap operas, and I've seen actors before. And I know when I'm watching a movie, I know when I'm watching something real. Let's look at the Sandy Hook. This man knew that the parents of murdered children were emotionally distressed, outraged, grieving. Jones's lawyer told the jury that he has already been punished enough. He's been removed from a number of platforms like Twitter and YouTube, Spotify, things like that. Also removed from many, many social media platforms. Jones and his attorneys were admonished by the judge because Jones was actually talking to reporters about the case within earshot of the jury. He told those reporters, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to be bamboozled and lose your First Amendment rights, go right ahead. We'll, of course, follow this case and bring you the very latest developments out of that courtroom in Austin. 
Melanie Rauscher was a star of the reality show on Discovery called Naked and Afraid. And she was found dead recently in a home in Prescott, Arizona. Her autopsy has been completed. And police tell me there were no obvious signs of foul play, but her cause of death has yet to be determined. And joining me to talk a little bit about this is forensic death investigator Joseph Scott Morgan. Joseph, uh, thanks for coming on Sidebar. We really appreciate it. I'm wondering uh, what you think of this uh, case and this investigation, because I was reading a little bit about it, and it looked like there were some empty air canisters next to her body, but police have said there was no suicide note, and as I mentioned, no obvious signs of foul play. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of curious, Anjanette. Thanks for having me, by the way. Um, it's, uh, you know, the first thing that my mind runs to as a death investigator, I've worked uh, cases where people have used what are referred to as oxygen deprivants. And what this means is that uh, as a means to essentially get high. I don't know if that's what this case is involving. However, I will say that uh, with these uh with these items that can be applied, you know, inhalating them, uh, which you would have to spray it, uh, this sort of thing, and kind of inhale, in, inhalating it so that there's an uptake in the brain. It creates uh, a euphoric feeling. Um, and because it is an oxygen deprivate, uh, uh, oxygen uh, depriving event. So, people will report this almost euphoric, giddy kind of feeling. You know, the problem is, is that if you're absenting oxygen out of the system, then it has to be replaced with something. And unfortunately, I don't know, and they haven't released to the best of my knowledge, what the chemical compound is contained in here. But this is actually an oxygen uh, replacement event. And so it has a certain level of lethality to it. Um, from a crime scene perspective or a death scene perspective in this case, what I would be looking for are not only these empty cans, which is significant because they approximate the remains. And that's certainly something we would take into consideration. Um, but also I would look for anything that had been cached about the residents many times. Um, when you see individuals that are engaging in uh, inhalation behavior, and this goes back to, you know, uh, you know uh, I, I know old investigators from years and years that trained me from, you know, the early 70s that had, uh, they were at the height of when kids were inhalating airplane glue, for instance, and they would find, you know, tubes of this stuff uh, cached about the, about the residents. So you have to do a very thorough examination, see if there's anything else there. Also, it's significant that I think that there are no suicide notes and that sort of thing, because that, but there's not going to be a note. As a matter of fact, I, in my experience with suicides, um, it, it's, uh, suicide notes are the, uh, exception and not the norm. So, you know, you can't completely hang your hat on that logically. Yeah. And I mean, I was kind of wondering if you, you know, I was Googling this to see if you could have been huffing or something like that mm -hmm. and passed away, um, yeah. you know, and there, you know, there was no drug paraphernalia found in the mm -hmm. home, according to police. So um, I spoke with the medical examiner's office this morning and they told me, you know, the autopsy is complete, but the results, uh, the cause and manner of death are still pending. 
So, um, you know, they don't know yet because they're going to get the toxicology back, I guess, in, um, you know, 45 days or so is what they were anticipating. Yeah. And I would tell everybody to be patient relative to that. And it's not just the tox, Antoinette. In this particular case, it's actually going to be the histological exam, I think. That is the examination, the microscopic examination of the soft tissues, uh, particularly the lungs, uh, because it will there will be a what they refer to as a microscopic uh, presentation, perhaps. There may have been something grossly. And when we say grossly in forensic pathology, what that means is you can see it with the unaided, unaided eye. Like if you look at someone's lung, you might have an abnormality. And if this has been a practice that has been engaged in for some time, you can kind of begin to develop a history here. There might be things that stand out. Say, for instance, if this is a one-time event, it might not have that presentation. But if this is something that's repetitive behavior, then you very well might see evidence of that grossly. But the tail of the tape here is going to be when they get those histo exams back or those slides back for the pathologist to put them on the microscope in their office and spend a lot of time looking at these, doing a lot of research. There'll probably be some phone calls made, I would imagine, because you don't get these cases every day, Anjanette. And so you really want to be careful about making a final diagnosis. Most certainly. Uh, Well, Joseph Scott Morgan, thank you so much uh, for coming on today. We appreciate your time and your expertise as always. You're quite welcome. And that'll do it for this edition of Law and Crime Sidebar Podcast. It is produced by Michael Dininger and Sam Goldberg. Bobby Zoki is our YouTube manager. Alyssa Fisher is our booking producer. And Kiara Bronson handles our social media. You can watch and listen to Sidebar on Apple, Google, Spotify. And you can also catch us on YouTube, of course. I'm Anjanette Levy, and thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.